to Cast Royale, the Clash Royale podcast for casual players. I'm Rob. And I'm Joe. And today, we have got something super, super boomtastic. Boom! And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Stitcher, clnsmedia.com, or wherever you get your podcasts, we really hope you enjoy this show. Two year anniversary baby episode 59 let's go happy birthday to us happy birthday to us happy birthday to us happy birthday to us Woo! boom if, if you could make one wish for the podcast what would you say but you can't say it out loud right because then it won't come true well no one listens to the show anyway so it's okay ah perfect you want to know yeah what would it be i want to make it to three three years <laughs> i mean don't you well here's my honest question to you when we first started this up and we had no microphones other than Apple headphones, did you think that we'd make it? Because I didn't even think we'd make it to 10 episodes. I, I'm 100% on board with what you just said. I didn't think we would make it to 10 episodes either. But against all odds, here we are. Here we are. And what we have today, dude, is an amazing episode lined up. We've tried to have this guest on the show before, but folks, it was absolutely worth the wait. Without further ado, we would like to welcome our friend, the legend himself, the Rumham, to the show. Rumham, welcome, man. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. I'm a, you know, long-time listener, first-time caller. Glad to be here. <laughs> <laughs> what a perfect way to put it. We, we can't be more excited to have you on the show. Like I said, we did try to have this one, one time before, but we, we couldn't, couldn't be more happy to have you on the show. And we're excited to to dive into the rum ham a little bit today and to have you here celebrating our two years oh two years is so long i uh you know when i first started playing clash royale i had a good sense that it would make it two years but it still felt like the time has flown right i feel like the game just came out a little bit more recently than that but uh two years ago i had hair <laughs> on my head swear there's old videos of it like that's how long ago this game came out so here's here's the real question did you lose the hair due to A, age, or B, the obvious answer, Clash Royale frustration when you're losing to Royal Giants that are maxed on the ladder? Just, just curious. I think it was a long time coming because <laughs> this is a true story. I'll, yeah, we're here on the podcast. I'm going to give you, we'll talk about my real life. Uh, I actually took Accutane, which is this really hardcore anti-acne medicine when I was in grad school. But I am like a, a really high tolerance to medicine. Like I have to take like a lot of Advil to get rid of a headache, things like that. So I swear on my life, the doctors were completely mortified because they had me on two and a half times the normal dose of one of the most highly controlled medicines in the country uh, in order for it to like work. And even though it totally got rid of my acne and I got beautiful skin now, I swear on my life it made me start losing my hair at like 23 <laughs> years old. And so it just got to a point where the like bald spot was growing and I was driving my girlfriend crazy, just like asking her about it every day. Like, can you see it? Do I look bad? And she's like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, you're lying. So it just got to a point where, you know, finally it was just like, all right, I've shaved my head. And I'm really glad I did. It looks way better. So if you're losing your hair, just shave your head. You're going to look better. That's the only advice that you need from this episode. If you take away nothing else, if you're losing your hair, shave your head. Boom. Oh, you wear it well. Uh, yeah. Thankfully, my head is like pretty normal shaped. I mean, if I had, you know, like a cone head thing going on, then maybe maybe we wouldn't be here today talking about my career. No, I have no idea. But, uh, you yeah, know, I'm very glad it all worked out with the shaved head. So uh, I was really worried for like two years about how I'd look bald. And then once I did it, it was fine. So maybe the moral is like face your fears or something. 
confront the dark side. Grab life by the horns, confront it. <laughs> yeah, so something like Ray went down into the dark side lake thing, and it's, it's like one of those. Do one of those. So before we dive in, just want to give everybody a heads up. Obviously, we are uh, foregoing the normal format of the show. There's going to be a couple of things a little bit later in the episode, but we want to know from our special guest, what's the history of the rum ham? Where did you start? And what led you to being a content creator? Uh, well, the name Rumham actually comes from a television show called Always Sunny in Philadelphia that oh. I'm actually surprised more people haven't seen. But it's it's like my favorite television comedy show. It's a 30 minute comedy. Um, very offensive. Very, you know, R rated. I guess not R rated. It's on television. But you get my point. It's, you know, it's uh, not fully family friendly. Yeah, not very family friendly. <laughs> but there is an episode where they purchase a ham that has been soaked in rum and they get drunk as they're eating the ham and as they get drunk the ham kind of turns into like wilson from castaway (laughs) it's got little pineapple eyes and they're talking to it and it's like becomes a third person in the like little crew so i you know i was actually just needed like a new handle i had a an old online handle when i was switching it i was just really into the show i liked that it was two short words and so just you know boom rum ham it's easy to remember and i had no intention of streaming at the time or making content so it was kind of embarrassing you know years later when you do start making youtube videos <laughs> and then you have to go to these live events and people are like hey what's up rum ham <laughs> <laughs> like that's maybe not maybe not the best of choices but that's all i got that's a really funny story i guess rob you and i can relate to that that's like if people ask us what our like aim or aol names were back in the day way too embarrassing i can't do it i can't do it i'm not i was just thinking like maybe i'll tell them mine i was like nope no No, way can't (laughs) not gonna happen cringe lord (laughs) 4000 but what about being a content creator rumham what led you to that uh so i've actually been a game designer by trade for most of my my life uh I got out of grad school and I was I was working actually uh, at Zynga as a game designer when Hearthstone came out. And Ooh. I had been a longtime Magic the Gathering player. I mean, probably I've been playing Magic since I was like five years old, been playing like tabletop games, Blizzard games, especially like Warcraft one was the first, you know, like game computer game that I ever played. Um, so I was always a big Blizzard fan. I was always a big Magic the Gathering fan. And when Hearthstone came out, I just got super into the game. And I was kind of doing the same stuff that I did in the early days of Clash Royale. I was writing these big Reddit posts. I was like sort of making little videos, but I didn't. It never occurred to me to be a content creator. It never occurred to me to like give it a real shot and make videos on YouTube or to stream on Twitch or anything like that. I was just kind of like, oh, I like this game. So I'm going to post a lot on Reddit. (laughs) Um, And then, you know, a year later after that game came out, so many of these people had made careers out of it and been a big deal. And they were getting, you know, tens and tens upon thousands of uh, viewers. And I was like, oh, wow, like I really missed the boat on this game. It was a cool <laughs> game, you know what I mean? And I missed the content creation. Um, so years later, I'm actually I'm working as a game designer still at, at a different company. And Clash Royale comes out into the first day of beta. And if you work in the mobile game industry, everyone's watching what Supercell does. So like, hey, Supercell's new game is coming out. Everyone, you know, pick this game up, give it a play, and we'll talk about it tomorrow. So I went home that night, and I played Clash Royale, and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. I mean, it's a, it's a great mix of RTS mechanics and card games 
and MOBAs and like it's just the the it's such a streamlined little package that it takes all these mechanics together into and I just knew right away like this game is going to be huge this is going to be the next big thing and I was like I haven't felt this way since Hearthstone and uh, so I pretty much dove right into content creation for it I think I set up a Twitch channel maybe the second or third day that Clash Royale was out and I was one of the first people streaming it on Twitch because I just I knew that it was going to be huge and I wanted to get in on it on the ground level and at that point I was already called Rumham so I was stuck with the name <laughs> and there it is ladies and gentlemen the history of the Rumham love it I have been wondering about that name ever since I've seen it and I'm so happy to have clarity <laughs> I'm excited that it's from uh Always Sunny I, I never I never would have put that together me either it's the gang goes to the Jersey Shore. It's the episode where they go to the Jersey Shore. I think it's season seven. That's totally appropriate, considering that we're both from Jersey. It is. Hey, what are you doing? You got all day to watch this episode, then. <laughs> Get out of here. You're not kidding, quick, man. Quick, hit the record button. We're done here. Game over. We've got all the content we need, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so, Rum, before we get into the nitty-gritty, before we get into the detail, typically we like to start off with a little bit of a softball for you. Got to make you feel a little bit comfortable here. We'd love to know what your favorite Clash Royale card is and why. How could you ask me such a complicated question? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Very, very difficult, I know. I know, there's only like 80 or so to choose from. I know, I can't even roll a dice for it. No, 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 okay, so my favorite card, it's been pretty consistent for a long time. Uh, I love the Prince. I mean, Prince, I, I didn't actually open him. He wasn't my first epic. When you first start, I had a baby dragon right off the bat, but I got a Prince really early on, and he's a great card design. Like, I love, um what I call sub games, which are, you know, we know what the game of Clash Royale is. You are trying to destroy each other's towers before three minutes are up. But tons of great cards create these little sub games, these little moments where the game is no longer about like knocking down towers or dealing damage or watching the clock. It all becomes about focusing on this one card and it's one mechanic. So I really like Prince in that regard, because once Prince is charging, the whole game becomes stop Prince from hitting your tower. (laughs) There is no more like, you know what I mean? Like the game is not like, oh, maybe I'll split push. Like, nope. Like the entire game becomes stop and focus on the Prince. And I really like cards like that. Uh, It makes me feel like I'm in control of the game. It's really satisfying when it works, like when the prince does crash into the tower at double speed and double damage you're like oh i'm the best player in the world and you know <laughs> wonderful so think, feeling yeah that, that's that's just like such a great card and it's designed really well right like the idea of a guy on a horse of course he would charge and gallop and do more damage um i like that he almost doesn't hit that often so when he does hit it's a lot more satisfying i thought about this question for a little bit though so my other honorable mentions are golem graveyard an elixir collector, which as you can imagine are all kind of, you know, very similar. Graveyard is similar to Prince in that regard. It's like once Graveyard starts spawning, just everything stops and becomes kill skeletons. Totally agree. Couldn't agree more, actually. And it's funny, the pump, the golem, it, it seems like you either like beatdown style decks or some sort of bait style deck. Is that right? Yeah, I'm always a big beatdown player. Like golem, golem double prince is probably one of my forever decks now. Like I've loved that deck so much in this meta. I've always loved the princes. Golem and especially Elixir Collector have been my favorite like tank combo. And now that there's a really competent, strong deck that runs all those cards together, uh, I will probably never quit playing Golem Double Print. <laughs> uh, I got to figure out what to do about Graveyard, though. I used to be a huge Splash Yard player, but Bowler hasn't been too good recently. So I kind of moved away from that deck. I think that the new Barbarian Barrel is going to be pretty sweet in Graveyard decks because if somebody like Goblin Barrels you, and you counter it with a barbarian barrel, then it's easy to cast graveyard on the counterattack and use that single barbarian 
kind of like an ice golem. Right. Or it's like the three cost of the of the night that you would have, but now just free because you killed the goblin gang and now you still got the tank for the for the graveyard, which is a pretty awesome counter push. Like if they yeah, if they goblin gang you, you can play the barbarian barrel a little further back. So you, you make sure to kill the entire goblin gang and then drop the graveyard down. Like I think the timing on it's really cool. I'm excited about uh, barbarian barrel and how it might bring graveyard back into the game. As are we. Do you think, though, that it'll come back? Do you think graveyard will really come back into the game with the with the overabundance is what i'll call it of poisons that are currently sitting out there uh i mean that's always going to be kind of a a moving target who knows i mean there's always new balance updates right and a balance update that would make the other spells more tempting or nerf poison or like whatever right like any any sort of thing that could change the balance of spells in the game could benefit graveyard because i agree right now poison is far and away the most popular spell and it does make it hard you could also play like poison bait, you know what I mean? Like play cards like flying machine or mm. magic archer that really ask to be poisoned. And then once poison's out of their hand, then you can go in with the graveyard. It seems like it's a really popular strategy right now to play a lot of fireball bait cards. And I feel like graveyard can get in on that. It's a really good point. I'm extremely impressed with all your answers so far. I just sit here all day thinking about Clash Royale. <laughs> yeah. Just to come on the show and just spew it out. Well, we appreciate it. Um, so you, you, you knocked the softball out of the park. Okay, so now we're going to throw you a little bit of a curveball. Who has been your biggest inspiration and why? Ooh. You know, as an overall person, I really like Brian Kibler. And I don't know if, if you're not familiar with who Brian Kibler is. Brian Kibler was a Magic the Gathering pro player who transitioned into game design. He was the lead game designer on the World of Warcraft TCG, that, the one that predates Hearthstone. Uh, he went on to be like a really big streamer and caster personality for Hearthstone, while also being uh, one of the main designers on a very successful board game series called Ascension. Uh, and really... What I I like about Brian Kibler, I think why he's a really good inspiration is he's been able to balance so many different careers seamlessly uh, that it, it really impresses me as someone who I've always had a lot of different interests. I've never really seen myself as someone who's been particularly specialized in any one thing. So to see kind of like a modern renaissance man uh, has always been a, a big inspiration for me. So seeing people like that who can kind of balance like the thoughtful analytical side of being a game designer but are also you know entertaining and personable uh almost kind of like you know like brian kibler is almost like a little internet celebrity in his own right within his uh within his realm while also being you know kind of a respected thoughtful opinion in the community i think is something i've always uh strove for and i think that's that's definitely been the biggest inspiration for me is like in the last five years or so yeah, you know, that's a it's a really well thought out response, Rama. And to, to be honest, I know you say that he's your inspiration, but I can probably say for both Rob and I and most people in the community that you do embody what that what what he has. Right. I think, you know, you, you are well known in the community. You, you have balanced different things. And I think that's a really neat inspiration because you kind of mirror him, maybe not to the extent that he's at right now, but. It's it's ironic how when you were talking about being analytical and being liked and all that other stuff, it was kind of like you were him like you were talking about you a little bit yeah i think that's i mean that's i think it's what we try to do with inspirations right is try to mimic them as much as possible so being someone who you know i'd never tried to take myself that seriously i never wanted to be 
uh, somebody who was sort of above ridicule. <laughs> so I think trying to be able to balance uh, all of that together while still maintaining that, like, you know, you're a deep thinker on important stuff and you can give thoughtful commentary when needed, but you still have the ability to kind of entertain and not take yourself too seriously, I think is a, is a good balance we can all strive for. I definitely took myself way too seriously in my early 20s. So as you get older, I think it's, you know, it's good to kind of lighten up a little bit and not be so, um, so aggressive and dramatic. You heard it first here, folks. Do not take yourself <laughs> too seriously. And I think, Rob, we can take a little bit from that because we do not know anything about much. <laughs> yes. Uh, and I agree. As I get older, I mean, uh, this coming January, I'm going to be 32. I, as I get older, you have to just laugh at yourself. It, otherwise, you're never going to have a good time doing anything that you do. Cool. So, Rum, let's take a little bit of a twist here. Let's talk a little bit about Draft Royale. Can you help us explain to our listeners what it is and what you think that type of thing could bring to the game of esports in Clash Royale? I know it's something that you're pretty passionate about, so hit us with it. Yeah, Draft Royale is a uh, competitive gameplay or tournament format that I created on my YouTube channel where players build their decks competitively against the other players by taking turns picking cards. So you can play with two to ten players sitting around the same table or playing online using a website to help you draft, and all the cards are unique. So there's 82 separate cards. If you take Giant, nobody else can take Giant. We'd go around taking cards one at a time until we had an eight-card deck. And then you have to play that eight-card deck against the other players, and whoever has the best record at the end is the winner. We've been running them uh, for over a year, and it's been one of the most consistently engaging tournament formats in the community. It's spread to other casters and YouTubers. There's a few other live streamers on Twitch, live streamers on YouTube, who have been doing these tournaments as well. Um, and I definitely cultivated like a pretty sizable community on my channel who came in every single week to watch and play. It's especially a favorite of pro players because it really challenges your deck building skill and doesn't allow you to rely on the same meta decks every single game. You have to be very flexible and adaptable with the cards you choose. Uh, for example, a most, the most common format is to do it with eight players. So eight players, eight picks each. That's 64 out of the 82 cards are going to be chosen. A lot of cards that you're not used to seeing in competitive play are pretty consistently picked. Uh, cards like Dart Goblin. Well, actually, I'll give you a great example. The very first round, most players go for spells because there's only about seven, eight, nine spells in the game, depending on you know how you want to count cards like Tornado. Um, <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like there's like only a couple damaging spells. And most people want them because they're really unique. You could build around them. So the first round, you might pick something like the log. So I have the log. Nobody else is going to have the log. When it comes back to me and it's time to pick my next card, suddenly cards like Princess and Goblin Gang and Goblin Barrel are a lot more tempting for me to pick because yep. nobody else is going to have the log. So right. I'll go like, you know, Princess. And it comes back to me and I go, ah, Goblin Barrel. And then <laughs> at that point, I have a very interesting kind of bait deck in a format where nobody else can really play the exact same bait deck. But meanwhile, someone over there who picked Poison with their first round is either trying to scoop up giant or golem or graveyard. And they're really trying to build a deck that, that works with that poison. So it's a really interesting format because it's all about not just picking cards that nobody else can choose, but trying to come up with synergies between the, the 82 card roster. Like it's very common to see people pick up like elixir collector rocket, and then three musketeers all in the same deck because by hoarding, things you'd want to rocket and then also having the rocket themselves 
it creates really interesting decks and fun mechanics for other people as they try to figure out how to counterplay these decks they don't have the usual answers for. Right. That's a really good point. I think, you know, you brought up pro players that come on a weekly basis to go play in that, right? And I think the the you know you talked about things like you know yeah clash royale is cool right but you like games within the games right the the prince little meta of the game right but what about the mind games right when <laughs> when a pro when a pro is playing another pro or eight other pros right or nine other pros if there's 10 people and you're simply picking just to keep it away from someone else who you know is really good with it or maybe you can't beat them with it do you ever get that uh, actually, absolutely. There's a few really consistent drafters who clearly have like their favorite deck and the cards they like to pick in a certain round. So they become known for picking these sort of decks and you'll see people kind of counterpick them or try to cut them off from their favorite cards. But it's for this exact reason that I think Draft Royale would be an exceptional addition to the esports roster for Clash Royale, specifically because, you know, actually the players will admit this, the pro players will admit this, the top hundred or so players in the world can all take games off each other based on, you know, the time of the day, the decks they're running, how they're feeling that day, who's hot, who's cold, yeah. whatever. There isn't like a very clear number one unbeatable player. They can all sort of trade off each on each other. So what I think you want is a format that has a higher skill cap that really forces players to consider the other people they're playing against that tests their adaptability, their foresight, their deck building skills in ways that the normal tournament formats don't always test. Uh, it's obviously a bit hard to do this on a large scale because you got to pick your decks against other people and it's got a little time limit and all that. But I could really see Draft Royale being a great uh, change of pace at a live event where, for example, you go from a thousand players in an open qualifier and cut to the top 64, well, then the 64 can go from like 64 to 16 by playing a, a bunch of separate eight person Draft Royale pods and like the top two from each pod advance into the top 16. Then you go back to playing constructed, you know, formats uh, for the finals. This is a really common thing to see in other card games. You'll see, for example, at Magic the Gathering Pro Tours, they'll have a little bit of standard, which is the more recent sets. They'll have a little bit of modern or legacy, which is uh, a much larger pool of cards. And then they'll have draft and sealed, which is what we would consider, you know, limited draft style play. So I think there's a precedent in card games for having multiple formats to determine like a world champion. And I think that when you start looking at what are those other formats that people could play to determine who is the best in the world, Draft Royale is a great example. I think I would get smacked in the face if I played Draft Royale. Oh, Rob, we would get we would get steamrolled. Yeah, probably. Oh, yeah. Oh, dude, people go 07. So you get you get eight people, right? And you got to play seven games. You got to play each other person once. There are so many people who are like, this looks easy. I'm going to totally beat these dudes. And they come in and they go like 07 and they go, wow, that was a lot harder than I thought it would be. <laughs> it's definitely an acquired taste. But I think that's what makes it a great esports competition. Sounds about right. And I think the other thing, right, Rum, like we talked about the pros and the people that are playing in it. But I think the other element that makes it really... Um, eye-catching is for the viewers right and what I first think of is League of Legends right when they're picking at any stage and viewers are watching on Twitch or any live event when you're watching people draft live and everyone's kind of seeing that unfold it adds a lot of anticipation a lot of just kind of like people holding their breath what are you going to pick what is he going to go for and it, it, it allows the audience to kind of become a part of the game as opposed to in a current format it's just 
I'm picking a random deck and I'm playing against Rob or you, and no one knows what I'm picking until I unveil the cards as we're playing them. Um, right. So I think it adds an element of engagement to between viewer and player and game, the three of those things, where right now it just doesn't have that. Yeah, I one big positive for the format is like, let's say you play with 10 people and you have 80 cards out of the 82. I mean, effectively, every single card in the game is going to be picked. And that means that you're going to be able to see almost every card in action. It's a great way to see interactions that you don't normally see. And if you have a favorite card that happens to not be popular in the meta at a given time, you can always go to a Draft Royale event and watch this card very likely be chosen. I mean, Wizard is one of the best cards in Draft Royale because there's not lightning and rocket all over the place or even poison all over the place. So you have the ability to just not have your wizard get killed by spells as often. And when he's free to just do what he does, wizards are really powerful card and he synergizes with a lot of other stuff and he counters a wide range of stuff. So it's great to see cards that are normally not in the spotlight really flex their muscles in a different format. Couldn't agree more. So can I take us to a, a, a left turn little detour? Let's do it. So, uh, Rum, can you help our listeners understand what it's been like creating content for Clash Royale? I mean, being at CCGS and like, what is that like being in person? Because Joe and I are just watching all these streams and you guys going nuts and having a great time over there. And we're like, mm, wish we were there. We just live vicariously through you. And we just want to know exactly what that experience was like. Honestly, the casting is the most Fun, like I didn't know you could have that much fun doing a job, um, because <laughs> it uh, it is a, it is a lot. I mean, it's hard work, right? But I find actually YouTubing and streaming to be much harder work because you're kind of locked in a room by yourself with a video editor. You know, it's really self directed. You really just have to kind of focus and grind on it. But the live events are almost much more like a team sport because not only are you there with the other casters and you're trying to help each other out and make each other look good. But there's a whole cast of people behind the camera you never see cameramen and graphics editors and the directors and the makeup people and all this stuff. Right. So it's cool to, to work together in those big teams. And at the end of the day, you know, all 20 people put their fist in the middle and we're like, yeah, good show. You know, that's a, 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 an element that you don't get so much when you're sort of just in your apartment doing the solo social media. Something that uh, I think. It's kind of hard to say. I think something that would surprise people is both how much preparation goes into it in terms of the graphics preparations, the the rehearsals, all the stuff that you don't really see and may not perceive. But at the same time, you might also be surprised at how fly by the seat of the pants it is in a lot of situations. Uh, For example, South by Southwest, we just showed up that morning. We didn't have time for a full rehearsal. So we were going through a couple, you know, little bit of rehearsal, but for the most part, the cameras just went on at noon and we just were going right. And if anything were to go (laughs) wrong, we just had to kind of roll with it. But that's a lot of the the fun is trying not to screw up and and then covering up for screw ups as quickly as possible. Um, And and of course, being able to go out and meet all the players and shake hands, I've become pretty good friends with uh, with not just players, but their parents as well, who I've seen at so many events like Colton's mom is there all the time and she's, you know, almost become one of the, the extended family members. That's exciting. It's exciting for you to see when you go to these live events. That's super, super cool. Uh, do you do you find that when you're there, like, I mean, no pun intended, but you are kind of a ham, right? Like when the camera's in front of you and you have an audience in front of you, do you feel like you just do better when you can feed off of that energy? Because I know or at least I think that I would kind of be that way, too. And I think Joe would, too. Yeah, I think so. I I don't have 
a great reason for it. Uh, but I used to do stand up comedy, and it's kind of the same thing, right? What? Like standing. Where is this coming yeah, from? Yeah, yeah. Wait, 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 pause. Wait, wait, wait. The Rumham history totally left out being a stand up comic. Are you kidding me? Yeah, what? I did it for like yeah, maybe like a year and a half when I was in San Francisco. It was, it was totally like a side hobby thing. Like I was, I was, I was working as a game designer. And so I would just leave work and I would go to open mics and, and just kind of work on that until I started doing some shows. The, the, the last show I ever actually did was at the punchline in in San Francisco. And that was the stage, like the room that I wanted to work. So when I did well at the punchline, I remember walking off stage and being like, that was awesome. I never want to do this again. (laughs) I have done what I wanted to do. I have no desire to do this any further. I'm good. Um, Mission accomplished. Yeah. yeah. Uh, So, but in that same regard, like, you know, standing on stage telling jokes in front of a, like three people at an open mic is not very fun, not very invigorating. And you don't really have any energy to feed off of, but then you put, you know, go on stage in front of like a hundred people. And it's almost easier to tell the jokes because the laughter kind of keeps you going. Right. So I don't know if it's yeah, that's a good question. Man. I really don't know, but I definitely like live events more. I definitely think I feed off the energy for some reason. I pretty mistake free on live broadcasts. But if I'm in my room just recording, I do like six takes. You know what I mean? You're yeah. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. It's like recording an answering machine on your phone. You're like, oh, thanks for calling Sorth. Oh, no, shut <laughs> up, you know, <laughs> since when did my name have an O and an R in it? Yeah, like I have no it takes me 16 tries to record my answering machine. But if you're like, all right, a million people are watching go. It's I don't know why that's easy. Easier, but it seems to be you're you're preaching the choir with Joe and I are exactly the same way. That's that's pretty much why we've started almost 59 episodes with bloopers, because we just can't get the recording right anytime we do it. <laughs> oh, man, that's great. But but Rum, as you know, as we pointed out, as it is super obvious, year two, baby. And two years, like you said, goes by real, real fast. And in the blink of an eye, it seems like Clash Royale has had a lot of different things that have happened in it, surrounding it and everywhere outside of it over the past two years. And we would love to hit on the history of Clash Royale from both a meta perspective and also an esports perspective. So what do you say? Can we go through it? You you know what? I got some time. Let's do it. (laughs) Good. Let's do it. So, Rum, I really think that the very first meta that I can ever remember was probably Pekka, Double Prince, Ice Wizard, Princess, and... I was just so frustrated because I couldn't have any of those cards in my deck because they all were too just expensive. But that was just every single every single deck on TV Royale when the top people were playing each other. That was the beginning of Clash Royale for me. Yeah, that was called the uh, the OP deck, the overpowered deck, if I remember <laughs> correctly, because at the time uh, that was actually a period in time where commons only went up to level 12 and rares only went up to level 10 epics were still level eight but legendaries went up to level six and it was like a really weird skewing of the meta where yeah the top deck at the time was like as many epics and legendaries as you could jam into one deck because they were just <laughs> better than the commons and rares uh that that deck came to like a very untimely end uh like when they changed that and they actually added level 13 commons and capped legendaries at five, that deck just very quickly kind of went away. Right. The one I think the, I remember the Jason deck, like obviously the Jason deck was a really big deal from the Helsinki tournament. The winner of the first tournament had this giant elixir collector kind of giant beatdown deck. Um, but 
that deck never really stuck to me. Like, I remember it being very big for like a week or two, but it just people didn't like stick around playing it for a very long period of time. The, 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 the first deck that I remember almost being like a card for card deck that you could see all over the place in tournaments and, and whatnot was the trifecta deck. Do you remember oh, the original yes. trifecta deck? Oh my gosh. <laughs> that was like the super magical cup original deck, right? Yes. That was that was Valkyrie, Hog Rider, Musketeer, Elixir Collector, Cannon, Skeletons, Zap Poison or Zap Fire. I think Zap Poison because at the time Poison slowed movement speed movement attacks. Speed, yeah, oh, it was like right. way better. Yeah. Forgot about that. Yeah, that was definitely like the OG deck. And what was interesting about it was it had uh, it got the name because it was one of the first decks that would always pull your stuff to the middle, either with a Valkyrie or a cannon. And then it used the Musketeer and its long range to take those shots. So it was like you had this triangle of like the, the defensive tower, the long range Musketeer and whatever your distracting pulling tank card was. And uh the attack would all basically, if I defended with Valkyrie and Musketeer, then when it came time to counterattack, I'd put the Hog Rider behind the Valkyrie, and that little train of the Valkyrie tank, the Hog Rider in the middle, and the Musketeer in the back was just like the gnarliest deck in the game for a long time. <laughs> uh, and that one kind of went away from Bowler. Remember Bowler like single-handedly ruined that deck and kind of knocked it out of the meta. That's right. What deck do you remember during like 2016 that really came out and impressed you? So I think, I, I could be wrong on timing here, but I think at the end of 2016 was when Goizen came out, right? That was the giant bowler Goizen deck, and they had the Midi P.E.K.K.A. and the guards. It, wasn't that the time frame that the, all that came out? That was like, August, like July, August, September 2016. Hey, yeah. I was in it. That, I'm that in it. That was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that deck was pretty... You know what's crazy about Goizen, too? And it, it kind of goes back to the Helsinki, to the, you know, the development of Clash Royale as an eSport. All the cards to play Goizen existed at the Helsinki tournament. You know what I mean? Like you could have played not like the bowler one, but like you could have played instead of the Jason deck, like pump giant Goizen, you know, poison or whatever could have played. I think guards existed at the time, but if not, you had skeleton army, which would have been fine as well. Right. Uh, you know, like you had like you had Prince, like you, like you played like giant Prince, something like all these cards existed, but nobody had really thought to put them together. Uh, one of the more innovative decks I remember from 2016 was near the end. It was during the North American Open, and Lightning was super popular. Lightning was like, go like Golem L Lightning was the jam. Like that was probably the like default beatdown deck was Golem Baby Dragon Lightning, you know, beatdown. There was a deck that was basically built to just be lightning proof for three Musketeers. It had Barbarian Hut. You'd play in the middle and use it to distract the uh the golem and you also played ice golem you played three musketeers and you'd literally put three musketeers like behind the barb hut and then drop <laughs> like an ice golem as quickly as you could and between the barb hut the barbarians and the ice golem everything had more health than your musketeers ah. and they'd, they'd go to lightning it and it wouldn't hit anything or it wouldn't hit any of your musketeers and then if you could absorb that lightning and only lose like one musketeer at worst, you had this really great counterattack that would steamroll them but i just remember that deck being very innovative and i thought that was a great example of reacting to the tournament metagame at the time that's really interesting that you say that i feel like that deck alone i never played against that deck and if i did i just completely black it out of my memory because that just sounds absolutely miserable to play against yeah that would have been plan c for sure 
Totally. You just resort to the cry emote for sure. And then you just quit the game. <laughs> it was it took a, it took a lot of advantage of the six minutes of tournaments. It was a long time deck because obviously very expensive. The average elixir cost was like 5.0 for sure. But but it's funny that you mentioned that, right? Because uh, that's like seven cost plus two if you're using the ice golem nine cost to then basically save your three musketeers. Right. But then the battle ram came out. And the Battle Ram came out, and that that brought two different types of decks, right? That brought Bridge Spam decks that came in early 2017, I believe. And then with that also came um, Musketeer Lightning Bait decks, right? Because you could basically Lightning Rod your three Musketeers and have no damage taken when the Lightning goes off. Yeah, that's I think what's really fun about Clash Royale is all the cards have their own unique little mechanics and finding the exact eight card list that not only complements each other, but can kind of avoid your biggest predators is, I think, you know, what makes deck building so fun, really, in any card game, but especially Clash Royale. Totally agree. So moving into the the current view of the meta, right? So what what are you thinking about the current view of the meta and what, what decks do you think are popular in this meta? And do you think, I know you kind of touched on this before, but do you think that the Barbarian Barrel has a, has a place in it? I think the game is actually in a pretty balanced state. I mean, if you look at uh, all of, for example, the 20-win challenge decks, uh, you can go look on, you know, Royale API or any of these Stats Royale kind of websites and try to look at the decks that were winning 20-win challenges. There's a lot of variety at the highest level of gameplay. I mean, even cards that you would not really consider competitively viable we're doing really well and winning 20 win challenges, albeit, you know, maybe not as often as the real popular decks. But that tells me that I feel like if you're really good with any card, you really believe in a certain strategy and learn how to play the decks, you can take it to the promised land. You know what I mean? You can become a pro elite barbarian player if you really wanted to. Right. Sure. But uh, it's definitely uh, there are individual cards or decks that are, are certainly more popular than than others. Right now, I would say the most popular beatdown decks are Golem Double Prince, uh, as well as the always popular Golem Lumberjack Night Witch combo. Um, Also, Giant Beatdown is kind of always around. So like Giant Electro Wizard, Giant Mega Minion, Giant Night Witch. And you use it basically as uh, it's a it's a the it's the aggressive deck against Golem. And it's like the big, scary beatdown deck against Miner and Hog Rider. It's kind of like plays the the fence. Those are really your two beatdown decks. And to counter them, we've seen the. Pekka, Goblin Hut, Zappies, Flying Machine, Royal Ghost, whatever list that is incredibly popular out there and basically just plays as many things as possible to stop these beatdown decks. And, can, and I don't want to say guarantee a win because, of course, anything can happen. But their goal is basically to never lose to something like Golem or Giant as much as you possibly can. That has brought back things like Expo. Expo is really good against the Pekka goblin hut style decks three musketeers has come back as well because if people are going to sit back and just play things behind their towers and not be very aggressive it gives the three musketeer player plenty of time to build up their pumps and then eventually cycle musketeers so there's a lot of variety out there i mean uh there's balloon decks i mean lava loon is obviously still very popular lava loon is also i think a response to those the pekka goblin hut decks it's like if your main source of stopping tanks is a Pekka, then I'll just fly right over her head <laughs> with 5,000 hit points of air tanks and uh, avoid that altogether. But the fact that there's, you know, six, seven, eight popular archetypes, plus all the fringe decks out there that are still very playable, um, 
I think it's 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 a pretty healthy metagame and a pretty healthy uh, esports scene. I'm excited to see how the CRL fleshes that out more. I mean, we don't know. There's a lot of details we don't know about the CRL, but I hope that just like all the other esports we've seen for Clash Royale, it provides innovation at the top of the metagame and creates new decks that we can kind of emulate. And normies like the three of us can pick them up and play them and uh, you know try to learn all the little nuances that come out in Clash Royale gameplay. Is that, hey, do, is your uh, is your term normies trademarked? Because I might steal that. Nor- <laughs> I don't know how long I've been saying normies, but it's a, it's a funny <laughs> word to me. I like that. It works because if you're a nerd for anything, then then there's always normies. Like if you, like, you right. know, I'm a normie to somebody who watches the Real Housewives of Orange County all day. Like you're like, what do you mean you don't know GG Vanderpump or whatever? I'm like, I don't know. I'm a normie. Sorry, Link. But one thing that normies do love is esports, and that is for sure because we live vicariously through the pros. But Rum, want to get your thoughts on? I mean, we touched on Helsinki tournament, right? We touched on South by Southwest. We touched a little bit on CRL. But it seems like Clash Royale is kind of moving. They have this vision for for esports and devoting more time and energy in it. And more, most recently, Supercell actually posted on Twitter uh, a managing director for esports community, right? So, uh, you know, what what do you think that this shift in view to really caring about esports and kind of building off of CCGS and creating this officially sponsored league that Clash Royale has done will do for the game? I'm really excited to see. I mean, I'm someone who really likes sports, just, you know, NFL, NBA, etc. And so I know the power of falling in love with a franchise and you follow that franchise through thick and thin and players will come and go, but you're just there for the team. Uh, and I think that bringing that into the clash Royale is an interesting experiment. As everyone knows, clash Royale is a one-on-one game, right? There's not, it's not a team sport in the same way that football is a team sport, but there are a lot of ways that teams reinforce each other, not just build decks together and play test together. But the coaching calls they make during a match, you can always see it, you know, even at South by Southwest after each game, the players would go back to their teammate and kind of figure out what do you think he's going to play next? What should I play? What should I be ready for, etc.? Uh, so I, I think seeing how that team dynamic and the franchise dynamic applies to Clash Royale is going to be really exciting. I don't have any details, you know what I mean? Like, just like you, we're all kind of sitting around waiting for the final details here, but I'm expecting it to be big. Like, Supercell doesn't do anything unless it's big. So I'm excited to see how, you know, to, to what scale this ends up being, because obviously the 2017 World Finals was massive. It was one of the biggest things I've ever seen in my life. So what is that if it's the precursor or the prequel to this Clash Royale League? That's a really good question because as as you've kind of alluded to going through the history of how esports has evolved, at least with Clash Royale, every time they do something that is live or just a giant event, it seems to just one-up the previous one. And I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. This last one, how, like really, how, how do you actually top it? Like the floor was a screen. There were flames coming out of everywhere. It was like a stadium. I, I, I just don't understand how you keep getting bigger like that. Only one way to find out. I'm going to have to wait a couple months and see what happens. But I, I have pretty high hopes. Like, I could already see the excitement in social media, on Reddit, on Twitter for things like uh, player transfers. Just today, Team Queso announced that Adrian Piedra and Diego B were going to become free agents. 
and Colton was transferred to an unannounced team. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm really excited, right? Like, where's Colton going to? Which team are Adrian and Diego B going to join? So more so than just rooting for individual players, I'm now interested in the player layer. Like, what are they doing and where are they going? But also the team layer, like which teams are gaining and losing by adding these players. Uh, You know, the power rankings you're going to see from week to week, the expectations placed on these teams and how they live up to them or fail to meet those expectations that adds so many more layers of excitement that I'm interested to see how it shakes out. Yeah. And I, I couldn't agree more. And like, like, like we said before, it just adds another element to the game that currently it didn't have, but now people have the ability to kind of really grab hold of something that feels tangible that they can become invested in. And it just adds more hype to the game. It adds more, more viewership to the game. And overall, I think it's better for the longevity of the game. You took the words right out of my mouth, bro. I think that was a song once. Uh, Meatloaf, right? You took the words right out of my mouth. (laughs) How'd I do? Not today. (laughs) Not today. (laughs) So, Rum, before we keep going, what would be your top, quote-unquote, key tips for new players or others who are trying to improve their skills and just kind of, you know, hone in and get better at the game? One of the things I always recommend for new players is, uh, you know, Clash Royale is a very fair game. There's very little random elements. Troops and spells act the same way in every game. You know, there's not like a random range of damage or anything like that. No RNG. Yeah, yeah, right. It's very, very little in the game. And I would say 95% of the time, the better player wins the game. It's very chess-like in that Mm -hmm. regard. So Clash Royale is really just about converting your elixir into cards and then those cards converting into damage. So if you're losing, there's no big secret or conspiracy, right? If you just watch your replays, you're going to see places where you weren't efficient with converting elixir into cards or those cards into damage. And if you fix those problems, you'll get better and you'll end up winning more almost without realizing it, you know? So for example, whenever I watch new players and you can see this on arena one, two, three TV Royale all the time, there is a ton of opportunity. There's a ton of options where you'll see somebody do, um, they'll play like a minion horde in front of a witch, and the witch kills the minion horde very, very quickly. And for a new player, that may not be obvious that like, oh man, I just lost five elixir, and my opponent didn't spend any elixir. They'd already spent the five, they kill my five, and they still have five on the board that's generating value. That's not a real obvious thing at first, but if you go back and watch it, and see all those times where you go, ooh, if I would have instead put a knight in front of the witch, and then put the minion horde on the giant, I would have killed that giant so much quicker. The witch would have died as well. And then I would have had a counterattack of like a knight and whatever's left of the minion horde. That little placement difference, that little sequential difference of your cards is the difference between getting completely blown out and getting three crowned or successfully defending the attack and counterattacking and doing damage to them. So if you're losing, it's not it's probably easier to figure out than you think just by watching your own replays and improving that way. And of course, share them with your clanmates. Ask your clanmates to take a look. You'd be surprised at how friendly people are. (laughs) And they'll normally at least point out a few places in any game where you make mistakes. I mean, I've watched literally hundreds, maybe a thousand pro games. And even at the highest level, you see pros make, you know, a couple mistakes a game. Even if they're small ones or subtle ones, nobody plays a perfect game of Clash Royale. So if you're losing, Watch your replays, find your mistakes, and I promise you'll see your trophy count go up. Yeah, you know, I think it's funny that you mentioned that, right? Because I think a lot of people hear the term elixir counting, 
And I think what you just described is a simpler version of that, right? Like elixir counting is really difficult because it's hard to keep track of your elixir and their elixir. But if you just look at the cards and say, that's five cost, how can I kill that in five or less cost? It really simplifies it and makes it really easier to grab the concept of, which is really neat. And I'll be honest with you, I can't elixir count. I mean, not not in the way that if you ask me at any given time how much elixir my opponent has, I would never be able to tell you. But I'm still able to 12 win grand challenges and 12 win the draft challenges pretty consistently. Right. My suggestion there, the only the only sort of elixir counting I do, honestly, is if I hit 10 elixir and I play something and they don't immediately play something, I'm counting how many elixir ahead I am at that point. So if I drop a golem at 10 elixir and they don't do anything right away, I go, okay, I'm one elixir ahead, two elixir ahead, three elixir ahead. Okay, they played something. Okay, I'm three elixir ahead, right? Like that's the only counting that I can really do. Um, And I use that to kind of judge how much I'm going to put behind my golem push or whatever. But it's, uh, I don't know, man. I I don't I don't think that the game is as complicated as people make it out to be. (laughs) What's, What's so beautiful about it is that it's simple and streamlined and that anyone can pick it up and play it. But mastering it is all in the details. So I, I tend to tell people who are new to the game, you know, don't be overwhelmed. A lot of the mistakes you're making are actually probably pretty simple things that you're going to see from watching your replays, not some really crazy, deep analytical spreadsheet thing that you have to learn, at least not early on. Right. No, that's a really good point. Looking at your replays and just finding those one or two small things that really changed the outcome of the game is a really great way to start. Tonight, we're sponsored by Blue Apron. Joe, Blue Apron is the leading meal kit delivery service in the U.S., and while many people know what they do, many people don't know about the types of meals you can eat when you cook with Blue Apron, like quick bucatini with broccoli and pecorino cheese and Italian-style shrimp and sweet peppers. With incredible ingredients and chef-designed recipes, Blue Apron lets you see what the power of food can do. That's right, Robin. I gotta tell you, the food is absolutely delicious. I ordered Zatar Spice Chicken with couscous. It came in a pre-packaged, pre-portioned box that was delivered right to my house with fresh ingredients ready to go. The food was high quality and delicious. And dude, it only took 40 minutes to make. That's awesome. And the most delicious part of this deal is that Blue Apron is treating Casreal listeners to $30 off their first order if they visit blueapron.com slash royale. So check out this week's menu and get your $30 off at blueapron.com slash royale. That's R-O-Y-A-L-E. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Thanks a lot to Blue Apron for sponsoring our show. All right, Rum, so we know we've been recording for a little while here. We want to be respectful of your time, so that we're going to hit you with one last question. That's going to hit home. And I know we've been talking a little bit about the history of the rum ham and it's always sunny and draft royale and the meta and casting and all this fun stuff, right? But very recently, probably in the past week or so, when, when South by Southwest was happening, you made a pretty big announcement that was rather sudden. And that announcement was that you were actually going to be retiring from casting and that you were going to be doing a farewell stream and you had the farewell stream. And I think that left a lot of people curious, right? It was rather sudden. You were, you were one of the beloved people. We, Rob and I, were very taken aback by it. We didn't really understand it. Where's the Rumham going? What's going on with the Rumham? We loved seeing you cast. And we had the question for you, and we know that you wanted to come on this show to tell everyone, what's going on with the Rumham? So the floor is yours, man. What's going on? Well, as I mentioned early on, I was a game designer for many years, and 
Uh, I wanted to give esports a shot, and I really had a great time the last two years doing esports full time. But I, I still missed being a game designer. I missed, uh, you know, that part of the reason I even did Draft Royale is because I wanted to sort of apply those game design skills into something I was already doing. Uh, people who viewed my channel knew that I was working on a board game on the side. I just couldn't really shake the desire to get back into game design. So a great opportunity came along, one that really prevents me from streaming and casting Clash Royale, because of course you cannot stream or cast the game that you're working on. So I got a great opportunity to join the Supercell Clash Royale team as a the, the newest member of their team. I'm going to be helping them out with game design, uh, you know, working on on future updates. I, it's a, a dream come true because long before Clash Royale ever came out, I was a fan of Supercell as a company. When you work in the game industry, you can't help but admire how Supercell approaches their projects and not just how successful they've been, but how creative they've been able to be. Like they, they're able to make their own new games and develop all these great new uh, apps across so many different genres that I, it's always been a dream place for me to work. And when an opportunity came up to help the team with some design, I just had to apply and I was lucky enough to be chosen. So I wanted to wrap up my channel because I'm in the process of moving to Finland. <laughs> and uh, Not a lot of time to stream and cast when you're packing to move overseas. And uh, I obviously I wanted to let people know in advance because I wouldn't I knew I wouldn't be able to cast the Clash Royale League. So I thought it would be weird if the CRL just showed up and I was just not there. <laughs> so I thought it made sense to sort of explain that I was retiring. And yeah, this felt like a great opportunity to explain why. Rob, I've been holding this in for way too long. Bada bada. Rum, man, that's super exciting, dude. I it, honest to God, like it's a dream come true. Like I couldn't believe I kind of thought I honestly I swear, swear on my life. I thought they were messing with me when I went to do the interviews because I thought like, oh, well, like I'm the caster and like if they just blow me off, I'll be mad. So like they're just they're putting me through the motions here. You know what I mean? Like they're they're just being nice. Uh, but no, it, it's I mean, honestly, it's a great opportunity. It's one that I definitely am going to take very seriously obviously i mean of course you would take it seriously um but for that reason i can't really have a split focus i need to make sure not only for my own sake but that's what i think the clash royale community deserves i mean people if you get the privilege and honor to work on your favorite game you need to be all in on it and it just didn't they didn't even even ask me to do it it was basically my own decision to to shut down the channel and all that so i could focus full time on uh providing the best the best work that i could now that that makes total sense, man. And Rob and I are super, super excited for you. That sounds like a tremendous opportunity. And to be to be fair, a dream come true for Joe and I has finally happened. We finally have a Supercell employee on our show. Boom. <laughs> I think only you're technically correct, which is the best kind of correct, because, yeah, I have signed the paperwork, but I have not. Rum, let us have our moment, Rum. No, no. Let us have our moment, Rum. It's 100% technically correct. (laughs) The best kind of correct. (laughs) So yeah, like I'm not dead. (laughs) You know, I'll be around, but I'm definitely going to be a lot quieter on social media. I'm not going to be casting anymore. I'll probably not be talking that much on Twitter, but of course I will be reading everything and and staying in uh, touch with the community as much as possible. I just want to make sure that I'm putting 
all my focus on my day job <laughs> of, <laughs> of, of design as opposed to feeling like I had a, a split loyalty there. Well, that's great, man. And honestly, from from Joe and I, we wish you the absolute best. Uh, and we we really do hope some some cool things come to the game, but just specifically because it's going to have your energy behind it. Uh, do you think you can give us the inside scoop on some stuff since you clearly know what's going on over at the Supercell Towers? Right. Well, actually, I haven't had my first day yet, so I don't <laughs> know really much more than what anyone else knows. I'm awaiting the, the April update with the same anticipation that everyone else is. So maybe in the future, you'll see something from old Rummy Hammy. You know, currently I, I have, I, you know, I have no idea. I hope it's really exciting. I have high hopes. Obviously, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't be as excited about joining the team if I didn't think the future of Clash Royale was super bright. I expect this game to be around, you know. Clash of Clans just had their five-year anniversary. I see no reason why Clash Royale can't make it that far. Well, right. And like you, like you made it a point to say, you only technically signed the papers, right? So there's really no reason for them to tell you anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's one of the things where, and how about this? A year from now, you can ask me the same question, and I'll give you a different form of non-answer. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah, but, but, you know, Ron, we talked about this before, but... You were a beloved caster. You did a fantastic job with it. We have no doubt that you're going to do a fantastic job doing whatever it is that you're doing behind the scenes at Supercell. And maybe, just maybe, there'll be some other creative ways where you can still be involved in the community and not always behind the scenes. But, you know, we will see if that does happen. But, dude, we cannot thank you enough for coming onto the show with us. Two-year anniversary bash making it a fun one, giving us all the insight, letting us know what's up in Rum's head and it's been such a fun show, dude. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. It's been awesome. I, I really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, best of luck. 59 episodes in the can. I'll see you at 118. <laughs> Setting the bar high, dude. I, again, I didn't even think we'd make it to 10, let alone 50, <laughs> let alone 118. Come on, man. <laughs> Should have been 60. Why oh! couldn't you make your two-year anniversary number 60 to be easy round numbers? <laughs> I mean, if Wait, only it technically is 60 because we started with zero, zero, zero. What's the right? So, OK, it's the 60th episode, but it doesn't look clean like 60. Only people who have followed us from the beginning know what we're talking about. That's right. But hey, <laughs> Rum, thank you again, man. It's been a blast and we wish you nothing but the best of luck, dude. And hopefully we can do some more collaboration in the future. And if you ever need any ideas for the game, you know where to find us. We've got plenty. Yeah, Ab we've got a ton. And no one says that they're all good, but we do have a plethora of ideas. Uh, yeah, that's that's something that I, I actually part of the reason why I was leery to announce it. I actually <laughs> thank you to the Clash Royale team for allowing you know us to talk about this because I was actually going to keep it silent because the last thing I want is to have everyone yelling at me on Twitter, which <laughs> I think uh, I think, you know, well, it's going to happen either way. So, yep. The floodgates are about to open, dude. Just batten down the hatchets oh, and just get ready because it's coming. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to it. Honestly, like the, if there is any sort of parting words, it's that I intend to take it very seriously. I'm, it's an unbelievable opportunity. And I, you know, hope to be a part of the game team for a long time to come because I Clash Royale is my favorite game of all time. You know, I've played more hours of Clash Royale than any other game. Uh, and so this opportunity to contribute to the team and do what I can to make the experience of millions of players better every day is just an opportunity I, I couldn't say no to. There's zero chance <laughs> that I was going to turn this down. Yeah, I mean, you, you with with those words, it's clear that the dream, the passion, everything that you've just talked about over the past hour with us 
has come to fruition for you. Rob and I couldn't be happier for you, and we're excited to see what little twist Rummy Ham brings to the game for us. So yeah, thank you so much for having me on. It's been a huge blast, and I just hope it's all uphill from here. Boom. And before we go, we just need one boom from you. All right, here we go. That was awesome, dude. Thanks again, and we will see you next time for some more Rummy Ham interviews. Dude, I can't believe that that just happened. I can't believe we just had the Rummy Ham on the show. I know, man. And his announcement, couldn't believe it. Super excited for him. And I hope our listeners got as much out of that interview as we did. Boom. Boom. But that's not all we got, dude. Oh, no. It's time for a meta check. Meta check. That's right. Our boy, Sir Devin Lloyd Christmas, comes to us with another ridiculously awesome meta check. And this one is a little special. That's right, man. Devin, our boy Lloyd Christmas, wanted to hit us with the numbers, but in a different way. So before we get into any of that, Devin did write us a little short little note that I want to read out here. He says, what's up, guys? First and foremost, a big congratulations on making it to the two-year mark. You continue to pump out quality content and maintain an ideal environment of casual, family-friendly players. Big kudos and keep it up. Boom. Boom. Devin encapsulates what we were always trying to do, Rob, since the very beginning. But without further ado, let's hit it with the meta check. So this time around, Rob, Devin took a slightly different approach. You see, Cast Royale is a casual community, right? But what would happen if you took two years of improvement over a casual player and you quantified that into how good is the community? So here's what Devin did. He took the Cast Royale clans and took all of the trophy counts of all players that are involved in our clans and took the average of those trophy counts. And dude, get this. The average trophy count of any of our players winds up being 4,047 trophies. Dude! Think about that, dude. The average player in the Cast Royale community is in the top arena in the game. Huge, huge, huge pat on the back to our community who continues to learn, grow, and get better together in a fun and friendly way. And those numbers just go to show you that you can be really bad at this game, (laughs) but you can get much better at it. Right. But with that being said, we're still a long ways off from the tippy top of the ladder. (laughs) Fair. So what Devin did was gather the data from the Cast Royale average community, along with some other average player data, and he compared that to the tippy tippy top of the ladder. And so what he did, Rob, was compare the pros versus the Joes. <laughs> of course. Of course it has to be the Joes. Well, it's not going to be the Robs. No one's the average Rob. Well, that's true. Hey, it could be the normies. We could be the normies. The normie versus the pro, but that doesn't have the same ring to it. <laughs> I like pros and Joes. It's good. So here's what the numbers look like. Zap is at the top of use rates for both pros and Joes. Surprise, surprise. So let's just forget the Zap completely and let's see what the other cards look like. And with that, Devin has broken it out between the good, the bad, and the ugly. So let's start off with the good. The pros are using the Dark Prince, the Goblin Gang, Ice Spirit, Log, Poison, and Ice Golem in that order. 
Is it a surprise to you, Rob, that the Dark Prince is running at a 48% use rate over the last meta check? No, I see it all the time, so it's not surprising whatsoever. It seems like the last balance changes that came out with the Dark Prince have really made this card become a viable option at the tippy top of the ladder. The pros know when best to use it, know when best to take advantage of their opponent's mistakes, and when they won't be able to effectively counter the element of charge that Rumham talked about a little while ago, right? So this card is super impactful and it's crazy to see how it goes from almost the bottom to the top in a matter of a month. But now here's what the Joes are using. Us average players are actually using the Minion Horde, Hog Rada, Wizard, Fireball, and the Goblin Gang. Dude, talk about diversity. The only card that appears in both groups is a common card that is called the Goblin Gang. The biggest separation between these two groups is the Minion Horde and the Wizard, which are both popular choices by the average Joes not at all by the pros. In fact, the pros use the tandem of these cards less than 6% of the time. So that tells us that the Minion Horde and Wizard might help you get to Challenger 1, Rob, but in order to take the climb to the next level, you might have to consider new options. So you said the good, the bad, and the ugly. What's the bad? There were 17 cards used only once by the pros and the Joes combined. And get this, there were a number of cards that were only used once by the Joes and never at all by the pros. You ready for this list? Hit me. The Barbarian Hut, the Bomb Tower, the Cannon Cart, the Clone Spell, the Dart Goblin, the Mirror, and the Royal Giant. Get out of here. So as you can see, all of these cards were used at least once or only once by the Joes, but the pros have never used it, which makes sense, right? Like you're never gonna see a pro use clone unless it's in some sort of a random deck that they're trying to have fun with, right? But Mirror is really not a common card. Bomb Tower is pretty irrelevant nowadays. Barbarian mm -hmm. Hut doesn't really work out so well. It's kind of expensive in the current meta. And Royal Giant, you never see a pro use that because it's really the average Joes that take advantage of it when they can max it out as a common. But otherwise, you don't see any of these cards used at the top of the ladder, but you do see them used slightly by the average Joes. Right, so these are kind of like middle of the road cards. That's right, and it's the bad because of this. If you are one of the people finding yourself building your deck around any one of these seven cards, it may be time to reconsider. The Royal Giant does get a pass, as I said before, because he's very popular as a win condition at lower level arenas. But once he hits the skill cap line, once that line in the sand is drawn, he's very difficult to win with. And you see his use rates decrease and decline a lot at higher level arenas. So what about the ugly? The ugly. These are the cards that were not used at all. Both of which may shock you. The Goblin Hut is at a whopping 0% in the current meta check. And the Tesla Tower? is also at a whopping 0% in the current meta. Now, that seems ironic to me, right? Because the Goblin Hut is included in the Golden Ticket, and the Tesla is included in an Expo deck that is very common. So really interesting to see that the data between the pros and the Joes this time around showed that these cards aren't being used. So Devin says it looks like the Goblin Hut had its time to shine while the Royal Ghost was around, but after the Royal Ghost had its nerf, kind of faded back into obscurity. Rest easy, Hotel de Gobs. 
But Rob, I gotta say, I do think that this specific one might be a little bit skewed, right? Because I think the Goblin Hut does have a place in the meta. And I do think that the Tesla has a place in the meta. You know, we talked about the Goblin Hut with the with the golden ticket on last episode. And the Tesla Tower is definitely used in some meta, um, meta expo decks, right? One which we'll probably talk about in a little bit. So I think that this specific set of cards probably got impacted a bit because of the most recent introduction of the Barbarian Barrel, which is probably causing a lot of pro players and quite a few average players that were able to get this card from the challenge to test a few decks and see what's working in the current meta or not, right? I mean, I personally was not good enough to get the Barbarian Barrel. I'm not sure if you fared any differently, but... Absolutely not. I'm sure a bunch of people did, and I think that this is the first time that the meta might be a little bit skewed because of it. Could be, but either way... It was a strong meta check. It was a strong meta check. So in summary, Devin says that the pros wind up using a very, very small subset of cards a lot of the time. In fact, less than half get used by pros in most of their top card decks. Whereas the Joes, we use closer to 90% of the cards and only leave out just a few. So there's a lot more diversity in card uses at the lower level arenas, but the higher you climb, the weaker that some of those become. It's a valid point. And as always, we couldn't talk about everything, but if you're interested in the numbers that Devin put together, we will include the meta check in the show notes so you can see all the numbers for yourself and let us know if you have any questions and we'll be happy to answer them. Bada bada. Boom. Boom. Tonight, we are sponsored by eHarmony. If you've tried or you're trying online dating, chances are you've run into lazy text messages, dead-end conversations, and random matches that don't turn into dates. But Joe, have you seen what's going on with eHarmony? A buddy of mine just signed up, and he said that it takes steps that other dating sites don't in order to find him more compatible matches. He said he really appreciated the in-depth questions that it asked him during the questionnaire while he was setting up his account. And it's those questions that go into the science and the data and the psychological research to send him the right matches. And it's proven as they've helped over 1 million people find their perfect match. That's right, Rob. So stop waiting and start your journey to a satisfying, meaningful relationship. It can be fun to play around with online dating apps, but when you're ready to fall in love with someone and have a meaningful relationship, there's one app that's built to bring you real love, eHarmony. And right now, our listeners get a free month with eHarmony when they sign up for a three-month subscription. So come see how eHarmony can change your life. Go to eHarmony.com and get started. And be sure to enter our code CASTR, that's C-A-S-T-R, at checkout. Thanks a lot to eHarmony for sponsoring our show. All right. You know what time it is? Oh, I know what time it is. Let's move on to our... Deck. Spotlight. Deck Spotlight. And this deck is called Fort Knox because you're going to make a fortress on your side of the arena. And it's a 2.9 average elixir cost deck and contains the Expo, the Tesla, Archers, Ice Golem, Skeletons, Ice Spirit, Fireball, and the Lock. So Joe, tell us what Fort Knox is capable of. Dude, so Fort Knox is a tremendous powerhouse of a deck. It is not at all a beatdown style deck, but it is a siege archetype that contains two buildings, the Expo and the Tesla. This deck has been made extremely popular by that one guy, the professional Clash Royale player that just recently started streaming on Twitch. You may have seen him on Buffaretti's YouTube channel. Tremendous, grand challenge and professional game player. 
and we learned a lot from watching him. Fort Knox is a devastating deck for your opponents to play against. The entirety of the game is to protect the Expo. We won't go through every intricacy of the deck. Instead, we will write up a very nice summary for everyone to read. But the concept of the deck is this. Distract with the Archers, the Ice Golem, the Skeletons, and the Ice Spirit. Counter your opponent's pushes and then go on the offense with the Expo while defending it with the Tesla Tower. The Tesla Tower is extremely difficult for your opponent to deal with because it hides. It doesn't get killed <laughs> by any spells unless it's above ground. It also makes it very difficult for your opponents to lock onto the Expo because proper placement, one tile in front of the Expo, allows the Tesla Tower to get aggro before the Expo does. The other cool thing about the Expo, which is different than the Mortar, which is what Rob and I play, is that as soon as it locks onto the tower, you are seeing instant damage taken on that tower, as opposed to the Mortar, which even if it locks on, has a few seconds before it can even shoot a shot off. So sometimes you don't even get the satisfaction of guaranteed damage. Good point. At 2.9 average elixir cost, this deck is fast. It is a cycle city kind of deck. The only reason it's even 2.9 elixir is because it's got a six cost expo in it. So the goal with this deck is play the expo, get your opponent on their back foot, and once this deck goes into double elixir time, you can easily cycle faster to your expo, which is your win condition, faster than they can cycle back to the defense that they have against the expo. And once you get your opponent's tower pretty low, it's also extremely fast to cycle fireballs and logs onto your opponent's tower to go for the Hail Mary end of game win. Dude, mega boom. Boom. This deck, dude, is so much fun to play. This is the deck. I've talked about it before on other episodes. This is the deck that I am trying to level up my cards for to play the expo on the ladder. My cards aren't quite there yet, so I'm only using this in classic and grand challenges. And I got to tell you, man, it is so much fun, but at the same time, it is technically difficult to play. So you'll find yourself losing plenty of games before you learn the intricacies of it, the ins and outs, and how to effectively win the game. So be, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Prepare yourself for a few L's because it'll make all the W's worth it at the end. <laughs> I thought at first you said elves. No, Rob, we're not taking a trip to the North Pole here. We're simply talking about wins and losses. Ah. The crux of Clash Royale. Well, I definitely want to try this deck. Uh, it actually is a good time to mention that I got my Ice Spirit to level 13. Boom! Yeah, so now I have four max cards, and this deck will uh, fit in with that Ice Spirit very appropriately. Good luck, man. Let me know how it goes. And if it's a bad deck... Don't come back to me. We'll blame it on the rum ham. Yeah, no, <laughs> blame it on the rum ham. Yeah, I'll blame it on him. Ah, that's it, man. We're done. The second birthday episode in the books. Year two. Let's go, baby. Bada bada. Boom. Boom. You got anything else? Nah, man, I leave it all out on the court. I got nothing else. All right. Well, as always, if you would like to join our clans, we do our refresh every Saturday night into Sunday. So be sure to join our Discord at castrailpodcast.com slash Discord because we always tell our members when there's new spots first. That's right. And if you'd like to reach out to us on Twitter, you can do so by using the handle at Podcast Royale. And don't forget to follow us on our new Instagram account. 
which is Cast Royale Podcast. And be sure to follow us on YouTube at youtube.com slash Cast Royale Podcast. And a very special thank you to clnsmedia.com for hosting our show on their website. If you're looking for new podcasts, you can check them out there as well as our latest episodes. And thanks a lot to eHarmony and Blue Apron for sponsoring our show. And that's it, man. We're done. If there's nothing else, we will see you next time for another hodgepodge of everything. Hodgepodge of everything. Boom, boom, boom. Boom, 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 boom,